All right, we're on part two of the book of Jonah. Hopefully we won't have a part three. We'll see. Um, you get your Bibles out. Last week we looked at the whole idea, especially first service. We looked at the idea that um, uh, Jonah has a lot of different themes. One of them is overcoming skepticism because how in the world do you get your head around the idea of a fish eating a guy and him surviving inside the belly of a whale or a big fish for three days? And what was that fish? And do I really have to believe this? Can we just push this into the realm of allegory? Can it just be a made-up story? And last week, uh, I said, no, you can't. The Bible doesn't allow us to, to make Jonah a story, a Sunday school story, that, that we don't have to take literal. We've got to take this one literal. And we've, you know, we've dealt with this since the very beginning, since it was written. Jonah was a real man. He, he, he's mentioned in Kings. He was, a, he was a successful prophet in a successful kingdom. So he was a real guy. And furthermore, Jesus in Matthew 14 says, uh, Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. Um, so if Jesus said that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, I'm going to side with Jesus. But let's talk about being in that belly of the fish. Okay, so here is Jonah's prayer. I'm going to do this in NIV, Crystal. The Yeah, don't, don't put it up. I'm just going to read it. Get your Bibles out. Uh, Jonah chapter 2. From the inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Okay, so real quick. How many people in your Bibles were, instead of saying grave, it says Sheol? I have a couple of Sheols. Uh, In the King James, which I read first service, which I like because it just sounds better. But King James, it says hell. From the pit of hell, I cried out to the Lord. Uh, Some of your Bibles might say from the realm of the dead. So this is just an interesting point. Uh, We can't quite um, translate properly what Sheol is. And I think they're all right. It is the realm of the dead. It suffices to be hell. It's a number of different things. But basically, that's where you go when you die. And uh, me and uh, J. Vernon McGee believe that Jonah died. You know who McGee is? Yeah, so McGee and me believe that he actually died. Uh, English teachers, am I saying that right? McGee and me? Or is it McGee and I? McGee and me sounds better. So I'm going to go with McGee and me. Oh, Susan's like, no. (laughs) So, uh, grammar. Who cares about grammar, right? Susan cares about grammar. (laughs) McGee and me sounds better. It rolls off the tongue much better. So Jonah, I, he, I, I believe he died. So if you have a hard time about believing in a fish that swallows a man, you should really have a hard time about a dead person coming back to life. Something that is, com- a body that is completely gone and it gets reanimated. How, how do we do this? I don't know. It's, it's, we've got to go there. It's difficult. You hurled, me, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the sea. 
And the currents swirled about me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountain. I sank down. The earth beneath bared me in for, barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple." Those who cling to worthless idols, they forfeit grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I have vowed I will make good. The salvation, salvation comes from the Lord. And then God barfed him up, or the fish barfed him up. Pretty cool, huh? So here's the thing. Uh, when, when Jonah wrote this amazing prayer, when he, when he was speaking this prayer, uh, he did not have his, his notepad in the belly of the fish writing this prayer down. So this gets written down after his whole experience. So I, I don't want to question what, you know, Jonah's truthfulness, but I, his prayer probably actually went something like this. Get me out of here! <laughs> I can't breathe. This, this whale intestine juice is eating my skin off. I am dying. Have you ever felt claustrophobic? I mean, have you ever been in pure darkness and you can't move and you can't breathe and you're freaking out? That's, that is his experience. I was once in that soffit. I went through that little tiny hole. And I could not move my arms and legs. And it was pure dark. And I thought I was going to die. Claustrophobia set in. I, could, I was breathing, you know, uh, dust. And it was just it was rat poop everywhere. I was freaking out. I was, not, I was not praying an elaborate prayer like this. I was like, God, get me out of here now. Right? Those are the prayers we pray when we're in distress. So this, this you know, this prayer that sounds a lot like David's prayer, you know, he's composed this after the fact. And he is not, did you notice that he's not repenting here, by the way? He does say salvation comes from the Lord, and that's huge, and that's key. And uh, we just, you know, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot going on with our guy Jonah. And we do know from last week that he was rebellious. Like God gave him a specific command. God says, I want you to go east, and he goes west. He goes in the opposite direction. He does not want to be faithful to God's call, and he made up all kinds of excuses, and he believed his own lies, and maybe he even thought that he was inside of God's will. The easier path was a lot, a lot easier to accept and to think that it was God's voice than the harder path of difficulty, of a people that did not like him. And so for us to, to think about the prophet Jonah, who actually doesn't even prophesy in this book, he says, this is all about him. For us to look at him, uh, it's kind of easy to judge him. God, what a jerk, right? Why would he be so rebellious? Why would he not want to share the gospel with a lost people? What's the matter with him? Is he spoiled? What's going on here? Why is Jonah such a, why is he so selfish? 
So it's very easy from, from this point of view to just look at him and to say, Jonah's just kind of a, you know, he is a backslidden prophet. I don't know why God tapped him. It's a little more complicated than that. Um, I did the math. Jonah was probably around 70 years old, maybe probably over 70 years old, when he was swallowed by this fish. His entire career, his entire life, uh, was, was in blessing. He served Jeroboam II, a northern king, and Jeroboam, got, he was a bad king, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Regardless, God blessed the evil king, and so they had a lot of wealth. And we do know that Jonah was a successful prophet. He was 100% right on. He had everything his heart desired. The, the, the kingdom was prosperous. And then he goes to this whole this fish thing. So what's, what, what is, what's really going on here? Why doesn't Jonah want to uh, share? And why is it a bigger deal than it, than it, than it seems to be? Well, the big deal is the Ninevites, the Assyrians, they're the worst people on the planet. They are, they are, and it's not just Bible historians and Bible scholars saying this. Uh, regular historians have noted that the Assyrians were some of the meanest, nastiest people that the world had ever seen at this time. They are they're ugly, they're mean. Let's put a couple of pictures up. I'll show you who they are. What's really cool about where we are in the Bible is that we have historical, outside biblical historical account that they existed and that they were real people. Now, these are, that's an Assyrian warrior, and those two guys are Jews. This is the Lachish relief, and they're getting hauled off into slavery. You can see this in the British Museum. There is miles of this stuff. It's really cool. Let's go to the next one. All right. They, the Assyrians were brilliant. Uh, how, do, how does a society become successful? How does a, how does a nation win? It's like a lot like our nation. Whoever has the best technology wins. And they had by far had the best technology. Here's the world's very first tank. I don't know if you can see it, but you can see some little wheels down here. And then here is the tank part. And then here is this battering ram that destroyed the walls of Lachish which was a Judean uh, city at the time. And then uh, more bad guys here, and then bad guys over here, throwing good guys off the wall, and then it gets really fun. Um, we got bad guys hitting good guys on the head, and then you can, it's kind of hard to make out, but we have good guys on stakes. There's three of them right here. The Assyrians basically invented crucifixion. They didn't do it like this. They, they did it this way instead. So what they would do, let's go to the next slide. What they would do is they would get a stake, and, and this is kind of gross and graphic, but I, I want to highlight it because it's important for us to get, and maybe it will change the way that you think about Jonah's motives. And so what they would do, they would take a stake, and then they would skewer people alive from the bottom up, and they were so good at it that they would purposely miss all your vital organs so that you would stay alive for a very long time. And then here's the next one. And so what they would do is that they would, get, they would make a forest of screaming people. 
and they would set them up in the countryside in front of the next city-state that they were going to conquer. And what they were saying is, we are going to do this to you next. It was um, success by terror warfare, and they were the masters of it. They had this other, uh, they invented this other torture called the tub, and they, would, they, they did this to, to kings and generals. They would stick you in a tub or a pit, and um, they would make sure that you were well-fed, that you could last a long time. They would bury you up to your neck, and then they would force-feed you. They would pour milk and honey on your head, and the dirt that they buried you in was full of maggots. So you would literally get eaten alive by maggots, and it would take a good 17 days to a month for you to slowly die. And so this is what, this is what was going to happen to you if you uh, decided not to pay your taxes. It's, it's lovely, isn't it? Um, they were so good at what they did that um, the Assyrian armies would show up to a city-state and so instead of facing what they were going to do to you if you didn't pay your taxes, the entire inhabitants of a city would just commit mass suicide rather than put up with what they were going to go through. That's how brutal these guys were. And this is exactly what happened to Jonah's people. So now it puts things in a different light, doesn't it? Look, these guys were worse than ISIS. And yet, when we see, uh, I mean, I don't watch it, but I mean, on the internet, on YouTube, we see ISIS killing our brothers and sisters in Christ, chopping their heads off, torturing them, pouring gasoline on people and setting them on fire. Uh, does anybody have a tinge or feel guilty or remorse that a drone has killed a bunch of people in ISIS? Don't think twice about it, do we? In fact, we probably rejoice in the fact that, that they're dead. And Jonah was no different. And so now, in light of that, do we see Jonah as such a bad guy? Of course he doesn't want to save these people. These people took everything away from him. His money, his comfort, his success, most likely his loved ones, they tortured his loved ones, and God, God is asking Jonah to go and minister to the Ninevites. That's the story. Do you see how difficult this is? Do you see why he wants to run away? And we're talking about Jonah, who I believe just was resurrected from the dead. Remember when you were saved? Maybe you don't. Maybe you, know, maybe you were a kid when you got saved. I don't know. But do you remember what it was like to be in utter darkness? It's like sometimes when people talk about their salvation experience, when they lived a life of sin, it's as if they were in hell, like hell on earth, it's like where you can't breathe and, and all your senses are cloudy. It's like you're stuck in a soffit and you're claustrophobic. For a lot of people, that's what life is like every day. Like they are just living in hell. And then someday, maybe you or me or I don't know, somehow God comes into their life and they receive Jesus into their heart as, his, as, their, as their Savior. 
and things change. And then life is transformed and they become born again and they become this new creation. And life is so much better. Do you remember what it was like when you first got saved? It's as if you could, you could conquer the world, right? And it, God is for you. He's not against you. And oh my gosh, I feel this unconditional love. I've actually talked to people that, that never received love in the home before. They really didn't understand what the concept of love was until God loved them. And they experienced God's love. But I, if you're like me, what happens after you get saved? What, a, what happens after the resurrection experience that, that, we all faith, that we all experience personally when, we're, when we walk in a new light? What happens? Life goes on, doesn't it? it bad things still happen to good people. And what Jonah was born again, literally born again. He experienced this miracle, and, and God is saying, I, want, I know you, you disobeyed me the first time, but I still want you to go and minister to the Ninevites, and he does it. So this time, at least in his born-again state, he says, all right, I will be obedient and I will go and I will minister to the Ninevites, but I really don't want to. Have you ever done this? Have you ever obeyed God with a bad attitude? Can I get an amen? Or is it just me? Have you ever been obedient with a bad attitude? Well, God, if you really want me to do this, then I'm just going to go ahead and do this. I will be faithful for you. And this is the attitude that Jonah has. He is a, let's just say it, he is a born-again believer now. God has resurrected him from the dead, and begrudgingly he is going to be obedient, and he is going to serve. He is going to go into this great city of Nineveh, 140,000-plus people, and he's going to give them the lousiest message ever preached in the Bible. It's basically, it's, it's, five, it's five words. It, it, I'll paraphrase it for you. I'll preach it to you. It goes something like this. You guys suck and God's going to get you. That's the message. That's his message that he preaches to the Ninevites. How would you like it if my message was that short and to the point? Would it resonate with your soul? Would you feel good about yourself? And would your life completely change and be transformed if you came to church on Sunday and I got up here and I say, you suck and God's going to get you. And you're like, oh, Pastor Josh, I've never felt so free in my entire life. And that's what's going on. Because God's, God's spirit is living and active. And, and these barbarians hear these words from Jonah and they're like, words of life i know it seems ironic like an oxymoron but god was in those words even though jonah's heart was not behind it that god used jonah despite his bad attitude isn't that amazing and that whole 140 people get saved right there from the lousiest message ever preached in the bible there was something about it that just resonated with them and they're like Oh my gosh, he's right. We're bad people. 
Never dawned on me before when I was skewering people alive. Didn't realize I was a bad person. I thought I was a good guy, right? So there was something in the spirit that this, like, like these barbarians are like, okay, we'll play. And they, they tore their clothes. They, re, they repented. They sat in ashes. They were, they were grieved. They had a, a concept of right and wrong that just kind of, I don't know where it came from, but all of a sudden they understand right and wrong all of a sudden. The king himself repents. And Jonah's like, dang it. Why? Why, God? I, I hate these people. Mm. Why, God? Let's just see what he says. Chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to run the opposite direction, to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger and you're abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is the condition of his heart. So he understands that God is, that there is goodness in God. Like deep down inside, he's still holding out hope that God's going to smoke these people, though. I'll get there in a second. Like he still thinks that maybe, maybe God's going to kill them all. Because he did it to Sodom and Gomorrah. And these guys are worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like they've got all the weird perverted, perverted sexual raping sins that Sodom and Gomorrah had. Plus all this other horrendous stuff. So yeah, you would think that God would want to destroy these folks. They're bad. Jonah wants to die. And he's trying to get his head around why why, why does God want to do this? Why these people? You know what I discovered? Here's the cool thing about when you read the Word of God, uh, you, you read it in a couple of different fashions. You need to read the Word of God with your spirit. And, to, you know, and, and again, that's kind of a living and active thing. Like when you read the Bible and you're reading it with your spirit, you're not quite sure you, you, you know what you're going to get because we're all on different levels and I shouldn't, levels is the right word. We're all in different paths or different, different expressions of where, or places on our spiritual life, on our spiritual walk. And you've, you, if you read the Bible in the Spirit, you've experienced this. Like a passage that you read three years ago and it had no meaning to you. And you read it now and you just, it's like pure revelation. It's like changing your life. It's wrecking your world. And you're like, how come I never saw that verse before? How come it's never resonated in my spirit like that before? It's because you're reading the Bible in the spirit. And then there's other times you read the Bible where, you, you know, it's, and it's good to read it this way. You're reading it with your soul. It's that you're, how many people have, like you're, like you got issues. Like you're an emotional basket case. Put your hands on you just, yeah. you know, like you're just not quite right. You know, it's like, and you listen to Joyce Meyer or you watch Joyce Meyer on TV and it's like, you know what, she's putting, 
you know, she's reading the Word of God and she's putting my emotions back together. Have you ever had that experience? Where it's a different thing. It's, a, it's like I'm becoming emotionally whole now. And it's because of the Word of God. I'm reading it with my emotions. Like this anger stuff has got to go away. I'm an angry person. And the Holy Spirit and Joyce Meyer are highlighting that for me. Isn't she great, by the way? She just gets up into your business. If you don't know who Joyce Meyer is, you get a battlefield of the mind. Um, and so we can, we can read it and it heals our emotions. But you also need to read the Bible with your mind. Like, it, like you can really miss out on some of the minutiae, the really cool stuff, the details. And it can, like, you, you catch some of these details. Like, if you're just glossing over it, if you're just reading it, you're just mulling through it, and you don't have your mind engaged when you read the Bible, you'll miss some cool stuff. And this is what I discovered this week. I don't know if anybody else has really looked at it this way. I, have, I, I, I know, I, you know, when I was studying and doing research, uh, you know, it was, it, I, most of it was, 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 was McGee. This, I love McGee. So most of it was McGee, but then I did some other research here and there. But no one highlighted the, the concept that Nineveh, these evil people, they get a prophet of the Lord. No other nation gets this. Do you ever have people that, um, that are opposed to Christianity or opposed to the Bible, and, you know, and then you tell your wife, just, honey, just leave it alone? That was a bad joke. You guys didn't get it, did you? No. My wife loves Jesus. I'm just making, making fun of my wife. Okay. But usually what's the, when people have issues with, with Christianity or the Bible, what is it? It's, it's usually like, why, why does God, why, why are the Jewish people, why are God, they God's favorite? Why are they, what's up with these chosen people? Why is it so exclusive? Well, here's the amazing thing about this. No other nation gets a prophet of God, except for the Ninevites. And there's that huge contrast between the most wicked people on the planet and God's chosen people. Why is it just those two that get a prophet from God? I don't know. I just, like, there's something to this. Because what's, what was Israel's, what's the people of God? What was their, what was their assignment what does God want Israel to do? What, why, why did he build this family, uh, this, this nation of priests? What was their role? Well, their role was to be a blessing to all nations. What did they not do? They, they, I mean, if you've been following along as, through our series, they do not bless the nations. They continually screw things up. And so... It's just a really bizarre contrast. God chooses to minister to the people of Nineveh, the Assyrians, and God chooses to minister to the Israelites. Those are the only two people groups that get a prophet. There's a huge mystery in there. It's fascinating. You've got to use your, brain, your mind to find that. You're gonna, we're going to use our mind to find another little nugget at the end, too. So, Jonah is... Um, He's dealing with some very deep-seated, maybe even like 
PTSD level hurt here. That makes sense. Like shock. And he's like, God, I don't want to forgive these people. And what does God say? (laughs) Jonah says, I don't want you to forgive these people either. But the Lord replied, have you the right to be angry? Really? And there is the question we all have to ask ourselves today. Like right here, right now, in light of what Jonah has gone through, and take a quick you know, inventory of our lives, like the people that have hurt us, the people that have betrayed us, whether it's you know, the, the ones that we know, or maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's even ISIS, whatever. I mean, God's going to be asking us the same question. Do we have the right to be angry? Uh, Jonah was blessed. Jonah was blessed his entire life. He wanted for nothing. He's 75. Everything gets taken away from him. And God says, do you have the right to be angry? Another instant, you know, a couple of verses uh, further, God provides some shade for Jonah. Same thing happens. The shade goes away. God says to Jonah, do you have the right to be angry because you're uncomfortable right now? Guess what Jonah's answer is? Yeah, I do. <laughs> if you read on, that's what he says. God says, do you have the right to harbor this anger, this bitterness, this disillusionment? Do I have any disillusioned Christians in the house? Anybody buy into prosperity gospel? I did, and it's biblical. I love it. There's nothing wrong with it. God does want to bless us, and he does want to bless our finances. Uh, God has a good plan for everybody in the room. He does. What do, you, what do you do when it's all taken away? Does, do, your circ, do your circumstances, are they going to dictate how you feel? Are your circumstances going to determine your affection toward the Lord or your faith level? Or do you pray prayers like this? Like, surely, God, you're, you, know, you don't mean for me to suffer, Surely, God, you you don't want me to go through this hardship. You know what God's response is? My name's not Shirley. And (laughs) God's response is, now you remember... You remember when you were in the muck and the mire? Okay, last week you were blessed. This week you can't pay your bills. Last year, you you had the Porsche. This year, you know, it it got repossessed. Uh, Last year, your relationships were all good and everybody loved you. This year, everybody hates your guts. Um, But that's all irrelevant because you remember the day that you were in the muck and the mire and you couldn't breathe and you were dead dead in your sin and I saved you. Do you really have 
the right to complain. <laughs> That's what God's saying here. Now, the book ends, chapter 4 ends just right there. It, basically, that's it. Do you know Jonah? Do you have the right to complain? Jonah says, yes, I do, because I'm so disillusioned because you let me down. You sold me a bill of goods, and now I'm not blessed. I am in pain, and I'm in suffering, and you let me down, God. So, yes, I have the right to be angry and disillusioned and to harbor this bitterness, and guess what? Towards you. And he's angry towards God. That's what, the, that's, what Jonah, that's what the book says. He's angry towards God. Have you ever been angry towards God? And, and we, all, we all do. We all get angry towards God. But us really good Christians, we can fake it. And we have the Christianese to cover it all up. And we can say, praise hallelujah, God's, you know, you're good, God, you're going to bless me. But deep down inside, we harbor this, this animosity towards God that we are not honest with. And for, or, for us to be healed of this anger and this brokenness and this bitterness that, is, that we, we're, we don't have the honesty to say that it's actually directed towards God, we have to say, oh, okay, I remember when you saved me. Now, again, it ends here. It ends right there. It just gets cut off. Do you have the right to be angry? Jonah says, yes, I do. That's the end. And if you are reading, like, there's no happy ending here, is there? Like, Jonah does not repent. Jonah does not get blessed. It's, not, it's, it's like even worse than the book of Job. At least in the book of Job, Job gets blessed at the end. But here, he doesn't get blessed at all. And the book ends. And if, you, if you're reading this without reading it with your mind, you're going to have to take a Prozac because you're going to get depressed. But if you read this with your mind, you will notice the blaring omission. There's a blaring omission. There is a spiritual Rorschach test, which my wife gave me, that she gave me that line. There is. Did you see it? Who wrote the book of Jonah? Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. And so where it ends on a negative, um, if his life hadn't turned around, there would be no book of Jonah. Does that, does that make sense? Like, when you're, when you're writing, when you're journaling, and when you're writing your own story, maybe you're going to publish a book, are you going to tell a bad story are you going to end it like, I failed? I, no. Jonah succeeds. We just don't know the end of the story. We just know that his book makes it into holy scripture. And Jonah wrote it. He gets to write his own story as, guess what? A blessing for you. Do you know? Why he didn't let us know the ending of it? It's because he had you in mind. Some 3,000 years later, we were going to be sitting in this church hearing this story, and Jonah is writing to you, and what he is doing, is the reason why there's no ending, there's no happy ending, is because he's pulling out the mirror, a big giant mirror, and he's, he's making you look at it, and he's saying, I, I know what it's like to be a man 
of disillusionment. I know what it's like to go through loss. I know what it's like to be angry at God. I know what it's like to harbor bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart. And what Jonah is saying with his mirror today is that he, I have overcome that pain because I got to write a book in the Bible about a fish that eats a man, about resurrection life. And you become saved, and God continues to heal you. You begin to develop the ability to forgive people. You begin to develop the Christ-likeness to spread the gospel and to even the ones that we don't like. Do you have affection? I have affection for you, and it's really easy because I like you. What about the people I don't like? Do you know that Jesus wants us to have affection for the people that we don't like? Yeah, extra grace required. And that's what, that's what the mirror is saying. So he's saying, okay, what? Jonah's asking you right here, right now, do you have the right to be angry about your situation? Jonah right here, right now is saying, do you have the right to, be, to have this discontent toward church or toward the body of Christ, towards your spiritual walk? Do you really have the right? Because I saved you from hell. Do you have the right? He says, you don't. Isn't it a great book? Isn't it a great story that Jonah, this Christ type, says you can have hope. You can get over disillusionment. So how did, I wonder what happened. Maybe he, maybe he uh, plugged into the community at Nineveh, and maybe he actually became a part of this community. What we do know for sure is that he sowed spiritual seed into Nineveh. A thousand years later, uh, everybody's favorite knuckleheaded, hot-tempered uh, disciple, Peter, in 67 AD, travels up to Syria, and guess who he uh, gives the fullness of the gospel to? The Assyrian people. And guess what? They, there's like, oh, I knew there was, I, I, they, 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 they automatically accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ because Noah had planted that seed. And they are the oldest church, the oldest Christian church on the planet. And in fact, the Assyrians, they do mass in Aramaic. They, they, they do their church service in the literal language of Jesus. And we have Bible scholars that are saying, well, is that in the Koine Greek? And the Assyrian churches are saying, we do it in Jesus' language, boosh. Right? They, are, they have developed such a beautiful community throughout the world. They don't murder people anymore. That's what Jesus does to communities. That's what Jesus does to skeptics, to cities that have bowed their knee to, to secular humanism and lust and greed and betrayal and, and violence. No, you see, Jesus wants to save them. Jesus saved the most wicked people on the planet. There's beautiful communities in Orange County and Los Angeles. Uh, they are actually fleeing right now from... From Syria, they're mixed in with the Muslim population. They're being murdered right now. Um, they're still 
far as we can tell, they're still passionate about their faith and their community and their love for Jesus. Do we have the right to be angry? So I think maybe he spent some more time there. This is where we get to use our imaginations, maybe right at the end of the book. Uh, You can't say it's scripture, but we can use our imaginations. Maybe he served them some more. Maybe he fell in love with the unlovely. Can you love the unlovable? I think I believe in all my heart that Jonah learned the secret of loving the unlovable. Most likely, he went to the southern kingdom of Judah and he said, all right, um, I need to plug into this community so that my, because God is telling me that this book needs to be written. Because I have, I have succeeded. Did you see that Jonah didn't sit there in his uh, disillusionment and quit? Because, he went, because we have it. He had enough drive and enough umption to make sure that his story got put in our book. That's huge. What about your story? No, seriously, what about your story? You got saved when you were 16. Your story didn't end there. You got saved when you went through that difficult time. You accepted Jesus into your heart. But now you're disillusioned and you're a lot like Jonah. Are you going to choose for your story to end? Or are you going to be able to say, no, I'm not. I'm going to choose to make my story a testimony. God, what do you have next? What area of my hard heart needs to be healed and and, and changed and transformed? Who do I need to love right now? God. This needs to be our prayer for, every dis, for yourself and every disillusioned Christian that we know. There's a lot of them, folks, because we've probably sold them a bill of goods that you're going to fall in love with Jesus and then he's going to make you happy. When in fact, uh, Jesus says, you're going to fall in love with me and then actually I require you to uh, uh, carry your own cross. And you have to die to self. That's what Jesus tells us. He, he's going he's gonna to bless us, but he's also, we have to rejoice in his sufferings with him. That's the unfortunate truth. And maybe we just don't get that. And I know, I know you guys have friends. I know you have Christian friends that are disillusioned. And they're not walking with the Lord anymore. And they're choosing to let their story die. And you just need to, you need to lift them up in prayer right now because their story does not have to die. Their story can continue. All right, let's get the band and ushers come to the front. They didn't teach you that in Sunday school, did they? (laughs) Big fish ate you. The other option is that maybe Jonah did go to Tarshish. And uh, Club Med, drinking margaritas, flamingos around, little monkeys serving him cocktails. Maybe that happened. I don't know. Maybe he retired. Who knows? We don't know. But what we do know is we have his testimony in our scriptures. And God wants your testimony too. doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. You still have a powerful testimony. You still have a lot to give and a lot to share, and a ton of people to love. And he's going to empower you to do so. Let's pray. Would you stand with me?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for relationships. We thank you for transformation and moving us into maybe even to some uncomfortable areas. We thank you that 3,000 years ago, Jonah wrote a story with a mirror, and he's, uh, he's forcing us to look at it right now. So Heavenly Father, as we examine our hearts, as we guard our hearts, God, what do we need to look at? Instead of pointing the finger at everybody else and how everybody else has hurt us and wounded us and how we need to get our pound of flesh, God, what areas in our hearts do we need to pay attention to right now? Holy Spirit, show us. Show us, God. God, for those that are dealing with hurt and disappointment, uh, betrayal, loss, heal our, heal our heart. God, help, help us to go through these issues of loss and pain in a healthy way. Minister to us on a deep level, God. Just pray that you just re- you would keep our hearts soft towards you, even when they are hurting, and even when we are we feel like we're in the pit. God, lift us up out of that pit and mire. Give us courage, give us confidence, give us strength to face what's next, and help us to love our brothers and sisters well. In your name, Amen.